Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers, it's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. Welcome back to the Rational Boomer podcast. And before we get things started, I just want to say thank you to all those people that are listeners, all those people that have subscribed. And I need to ask you a favor. And that favor is to spread this podcast as far and wide as possible. Friends, neighbors, colleagues, co-workers, people that might be interested in this kind of content, make sure they see it and have an option to tune it in. As some of you are probably saying, oh, he just wants to be internet famous and make a lot of money. No, that's not the case. I'll be honest with you. I'm 61 years old. I worked most of my life. Uh, I'm pretty comfortable right now. I'm not rich or famous, but I don't need to be. I'm comfortable. I do what I want to do. I have no stress. And that really was my goal all along as I was young, growing into this older age. So as far as fame, I'm not worried about it. As far as money, don't really care because I don't need it at this point. There are other people that need money worse than I. And I'd rather see them get it than me because I'm fine. But the real reason I'm suggesting that you spread it far and wide is because the way this country is. We got all these crazies on the far right. We got some crazies on the far left. We got a lot of young people bopping around saying, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But we people of our vintage, baby boomers, maybe even Gen Xers, who may be in the middle of the pack as far as how we see things, It seems like these radical sides are taking over and drowning out us. Now, this is all leading to the uh, topic of this podcast, so just hang with me here. But the fact of the matter is, is even though we are older and even though we are baby boomers or Gen Xers, we wield a lot of power, but we can only wield that power if we try to wield that power. Here's what I mean. If you take a look at baby boomers' population, we're around 70 million, almost as many as millennials. So we have a very large voting block. Now, granted, we're all going to vote differently, and that's fine. But with regards to things that are important to us, we would probably be in league together. Secondly, this group of 70 million baby boomers also control most of the money. So isn't it logical to think we should be pretty powerful in this whole situation called America, called the government? It is. But too often when people get older like us, we just kick back and we don't think about it and we let everybody else do it. And to an extent, you got to do that. You got to let the young people take over. But you can't let them run over us and you can't let us be disregarded. You see... 
there's a lot of isms in this country. There's racism. There's anti-Semitism. There is uh, sexism. And all of these are very virulent. They're horrible things that cause violence and problems and unrest and chaos. And these are all things we must address. And frankly, people of our vintage and our category are probably some of the best people to deal with it because we've been dealing with it all of our lives. But the one problem that you don't hear much about is ageism. Now, all the young people say, oh, that's not a thing. That's no big deal. Yes, it is a thing because it impacts a lot of people's life. In fact, if you consider this very closely, ageism is something 100% of the people who get to old age will experience. 100%. That's worse than COVID. That's worse than racism. That's worse than anti-Semitism because it affects everybody. Now, these young people will say, oh, it'll never affect me because I'm young and it's not going to happen. Well, let me tell you something, youngster. (laughs) We were all in that situation. We were all young and we had no idea just how quickly we would get to this stage of our life, how quickly we would become older. Now, ageism is a very widespread thing. It affects us in our communities. It affects us in our families. It affects us in our business. And it has serious effects. Now, the young people don't know this because they're young. But some of us in our older ages do understand it and are maybe even experiencing it. And if you haven't experienced it yet, trust me, you will. Now, it's not like getting beat up or shot in the street, I'll grant you that, but it's still an effect on our lives. It's detrimental to our lives. And since it's going to affect everybody, don't you think we ought to look at it? I think so. Anyway, Let's talk about ageism. Let's talk about how it affects people. You get to a certain age, let's call it 50, 55 and beyond. A lot of things start to happen. Your life changes. You're thinking about retirement. You're thinking about money. You're thinking about health care. You're thinking about your new family members that have come on in marriage or what have you. You're thinking about grandchildren. There's a lot of things to think about and worry about. But when you get older, it's very easy for young people or businesses to dismiss and disregard you like you're not important. And it's weird how it comes about because up until that time, you were important and valued parts of the family or your business or your community. But now you get to a certain age and they think, oh, he's just an old guy. He's just, that's just an old woman. They don't know anything. They're goofy. They're crazy. And this is just not true. I mean, I think we all experience it once we come to a certain age. We have children. We've taught them everything they know. We've given them every experience. We've given them every dollar. We've given them every bit of attention so that their lives are better. But even still, at some point, at some point, those kids will say, Oh, that's just old dad. That's just old mom. They're crazy. Just let them go. I'm smart because I'm young, and I'm in the mix right now. 
Now, I can't bitch about this too much because the fact of the matter is I was right there when I was in my 20s and 30s. I wasn't any different. It's not something we can change necessarily socially. We can't change their minds. So what I'm suggesting is by coming together, people of a like mind, people of like experiences and intentions, maybe we can do something about it without their <laughs> regard or or with without care about whether we're being dismissed. You know, it's funny, when I was a young man, I didn't have a lot of access to my father because he was a fucktard, and I didn't see him a lot. But I really liked old people, and I think it came from my closeness, closeness to my grandfathers and my grandmothers, but my grandfathers particularly, because I'm young. I have to figure out how to be a man, and I got two men there that can maybe help me. Now, I was very fortunate. Both these men, even though they were dramatically different, they were good men. I had one grandfather that was very blue-collar. I had one grandfather that was more white-collar. They had totally different perspectives. But all their perspectives were important, and they were of value to me as I was growing up, running into things I knew nothing about. See, what I understood about old people was, and I was trying to look at this pragmatically, I'm a young man going through life, and I run into a bump in the road, a problem. Now, for most young men, especially these days, you get stressed out, you get scared, you get concerned, you don't know what to do. So you scramble around and try different things, you fail, you fail, you fail, then you finally win after you figured it out. And no doubt you will figure it out. But what I understood as a young man was that whatever I'm going through now, chances are pretty good that my grandfathers went through it at some point. So it would make sense to talk to them about it, get some reference of what they saw, what they did, and what worked. And maybe that would save me some time and stress. And God damned if it weren't true. I'd go to my grandfather and say, I got this problem. And they'd say, yeah, that happened to me in the 40s or 50s or whatever it is. I said, what'd you do? Now, granted, times are different. And you have to adjust for those times. But the essence of the problem is there. The thought process is there. And now I can get some advice from somebody who's experienced in that particular thing and in life in general. And someone who also came up with a resolution to that problem. Doesn't it make sense that I sit down and talk to them and pick their brains until I get the information I need from them? Now, these were good men. They did everything the right way. I can't say I did everything the right way because I did the take a pull something out of my ass and, and, and hope for the best. And I got burned a lot of times. But after getting burned a few times, I learned some things because I talked to my grandparents. So in life, when you're getting older and have kids, there comes a point where you become dismissed. Not in a horrible way necessarily, but you feel it. It used to be they'd come to you with every problem and you'd help them out of it. Now when they have a problem and you try to offer some advice, they say, oh, no, you don't know what you're talking about. You have no idea. Well, the fucking fact of the matter is I do have every idea because I went through that same goddamn thing 30 years ago. And if you just sit down and listen, maybe I could help you. But they don't listen because they're smarter than we are. 
I'm not trying to get mad at my kids. That's just the way this society works. So I can't change society if I did it. My kids do it. Their kids do it. That's going to be a long process to change. So all we can really do is come together and try to make things better in this world with our own power. And what I'm trying to suggest is we have a significant amount of power. 70 million baby boomers, a bunch of Gen Xers, and most of the money. Not to mention all the experience we've had over the years. Now, they may not want our help, but we can still help. We can still help this country. And why do we want to help this country if we're comfortable now like me? I mean, I could just sit back, not think about anything. Well, I'm concerned about my kids. I'm concerned about my grandkids. And I'm concerned about my great-grandkids and so on. I'd like to leave this place a little better than I found it. And I was born in 1960, and there was a lot of significant problems in this country and since the time I was born. So if I'm in a position now to actually do something to make things better for my, uh, for my uh, future family, I think I should do it. I mean, we all want to leave a legacy of some sort. So why not do some good? And by bringing people together of a like mind, like with the Rational Boomer podcast, I think we can do it. But we can only do it together, not individually, because we get disregarded. But you can't disregard 70 million people with all the money. You just can't. But that doesn't become a thing unless we exercise that power, that authority. You know, it's funny. I talk about ageism with some people, and most of them think it's not a thing, and it really is. It shows up all over the country in all aspects of life. And for some people, they just go with it, lay back, and ride out their days and die. Other people try to fight it, but they really don't know how to fight it. And now they just become grumpy old people that nobody wants to be around. Well, there's something in the middle there. And that's about being proactive. How is ageism actually detrimental financially to older people? Well, I'll tell you. And I have my own story that I can pass along so you can get a sense. Now, some of you have probably already experienced this. Some of you maybe will experience this. And hopefully there's a bunch of people that didn't experience this. But it is a thing. And it affects a lot of people. And as I said, the thing about ageism that makes it so insidious is that everybody, 100% of the people on earth today, will experience it if they grow to old age. So you get a job. You're a hotshot guy or hotshot gal, and you're doing all the right things. You're making a lot of money. You're proud of yourself, and you know more than anybody. You could maybe do that for 20 years. Maybe 30 years, probably not 30, because things will change. You see, as you continue in your job, doing what you're doing, being successful, impressing the boss and everybody around you, they love you. But as time goes on, you get more of those young hotshots that come in. And those young hotshots don't think you old people are shit, even though you were once those young hotshots. 
just by virtue of time, just by virtue of age, you become less valuable because there's new guys, new gals coming in that are smarter than you. And maybe they are, but there's still more to a business, a job, a company than what's happening at that moment. History is very important, as I said, with my grandparents, my grandfathers particularly. What they went through wasn't exactly the same thing I went through, but it was close enough that their advice, their experience, and their information was valuable to me. And that's the same thing in business. I'm the young hotshot guy now, and I'm doing all these things, doing wonderful things, and everybody thinks I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. But then years go by, some other young guy comes in, or young gal, and now what you have to say isn't important even though you're largely responsible for why they even have a job. But that doesn't matter. You're expendable now for two reasons, because you're older and you're soon going to retire. And plus, you cost too much money. Over those years, your income increases. And they're paying you a lot of money. But they say, oh, we got these young guys here now doing the same damn thing. And we pay them a lot less money. So why do we need this clown? Let me tell you about an experience I had. And it's probably an experience that everybody's had at this point. A lot of people have had if you've grown to my age of 60, 65. I worked in the radio business for many years. And I had an association with a radio station that was owned by a government entity, a school district. The school district owned the radio station. I got my training there. I worked there. And then I went off and did other things at uh, commercial radio stations. Well, for a period of time, I owned a recording studio. And I talked about that in a previous podcast. Well, I came to a point where I was selling that recording studio. I had a young son. I had a wife. I had a house. And I needed to make some money. And frankly, as successful as that recording studio was, I really wasn't left with much money when I sold it. It's a tough business, and I wanted to get out of it, and I did. But I didn't have a lot of money, so I needed a job. So this radio station that I got my training from and uh, had some history with called me up and said, Mike, we want to hire you for a job. So what's the job? So we just got a contract with the Department of Transportation. And they want us to do traffic reports. I said, they want to pay you to do traffic reports. There's people doing traffic reports all over. They don't need to pay anybody to do traffic reports. Well, here's what they said. They said, these traffic reports are fine, but they really don't help things. They're in the business of managing traffic. So they feel if they get more information out to the public, it will help in their efforts to manage traffic. I said, okay, that makes sense. But the fact of the matter is, I don't know anything about traffic. I don't have any interest in doing traffic. However, I <laughs> I did have an interest in uh, paying for my uh, kids. But I was a young man. I was about 28, 29 years old. And I was still reluctant. Even though I needed the money, I needed the job. It's traffic, for Christ's sake. That's not very exciting. That's not very entertaining. That's not creative. I didn't really want to do it, but I talked to my wife, and it had benefits and a pension and all these types of things. So even though at 29, I wasn't really thinking about all that stuff, I decided to take it. Now, the way they sold this to me 
when I told them I don't have any experience doing traffic, and they knew that. They said, look, this Department of Transportation has cameras all over the freeway system. The way you do the report is sit in this room, watch these cameras, and then do the report. I go, yeah? Well, just do it like you did when you did play-by-play of sports, which I did a lot of. Now, that kind of made sense to me. I look at that, look at that, look at that, put it together and spit it out and let people know what's going on. So I took the job. Now, when I took the job, there was no such job. I was the first one in this job. The Department of Transportation had no idea how to formulate a traffic reporting program. The radio station had never done traffic, knew nothing about it, so they had no input as to how to do these traffic reports. So they said, Mike, you sit down, you start doing it, and uh, then figure it out. Now, I was cocky enough to think, okay, I can do that. That's easy enough. I learned some lessons along the way. (laughs) I was trying to base it on my play-by-play of sports and doing the traffic. And I remember the first couple reports I did. I did it this way. We've got a crash on the Crosstown eastbound. It goes back all the way to Highway 100. And I was just high and intense, like I might be with a sports broadcast. Well, I got a lot of calls from people, and I said, Mike, you're doing a good job. But Jesus Christ, calm it down. We're already stressed out out here. Just level it off. So that was the first lesson I learned, and I did level it off. And after that, I kind of paced it out pretty easily, and people were more comfortable with a more soothing approach. (laughs) So anyway, we get into this program, and it's a two-year pilot program. And at that point in time, I was thinking to myself, okay, I got a job for two years. That's cool. We'll figure out what goes on after that. Well, things are going pretty well. With the program. I've somehow figured out a format of how to do these reports, and I was in a fortunate situation that they didn't give me any time limits on my reports so I could give more information and actually do some help in managing traffic. So it was going pretty good. We get to the end of the two years and they say, hey, we'd like to re-up this for another three. Okay, cool. Radio station's happy with me because that gives them more money for the next three years. They're getting paid four or $500,000 a year for me doing what I'm doing. The DOT's happy with it because, first of all, the listeners love the service and somehow connected to me, and they're getting the kind of exposure and help that they want. Okay, so we go another three years. Three years goes by, it gets better. They add five more years. And this keeps going up until the time when I left, I had been doing that job for 27 years. Not a hitch. Not a problem. Stations keeps getting their money. DOT keeps getting what they like. And the listeners are really bought in to these reports. It wasn't like typical traffic reports. They were very loyal and they were very connected. I was on their radio every day, every 10 minutes for 27 years. So they looked at me as kind of their buddy, their relative, their friend. And they were that loyal. Now, over the years, I tend to be a little arrogant, especially when it comes to things that I know I know, and I know they don't know. And over the years, there were some management, young management people that would come in. And of course, they want to make everything their own. And so they'd call me in and say, we want to make changes. 
And I always thought to myself, okay, I've been doing this 10 years, 15 years. It's been successful. I invented how we do it. So how in the fuck is this guy telling me what I should change? And if I do change it, it's not his ass on the line. It's my voice and my name on the line. And if it's not good, then I look bad. So I'd tell them, no, I'm not doing that. I'm just not doing that. And they'd cry to the radio station. They'd cry to the DOT. And these people would tell them, look, Mike's successful at this. It's making money. It's helping people. The audience loves him. Just leave him the fuck alone. Let him do what he's doing. And that happened three or four times during my tenure at, uh, at the station and on the job. Well, time goes by and time goes by. And to be honest with you, I was getting to the point where this job was getting kind of tedious. I was getting bored with it. At one point, I made it my own, and it was kind of my own thing. I got some press coverage out of it, both local and national. I got a lot of people coming up to me because they were actually getting some good out of what I was doing. Now, I always used to tell the joke that says, I'm the one government program that actually does somebody some good. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, be, I'm joking. I'm being arrogant like I tend to be. But... Then we come to about the 26-year mark. Get another young management guy who thinks he's a hotshot. And frankly, I didn't like him right at first because I could see he was one of these cop wannabes, you know? He was on a volunteer fire department. He thought he was special. He thought he was smart. He thought he was better than everybody else. And when he came and sat down with me, that didn't go too well because I'm not taking that shit especially all I've been through, the success I've had with this, and how much I've helped to keep that station alive by continuing to do my job, making them the money they need to survive. So, as I've told people before, one of my biggest problems, and my wife will attest to this, I don't listen to shit. And I certainly don't listen to people who know less than I do. Now, this kid's about 34 years old, and... Uh, He's worked at one radio station prior to this job being program director. Now, I've worked at probably 10 radio stations. I've been in the business for 30 years at that point. So this guy's going to try to tell me how to do it? Yeah, he's management, but this is a government job. And uh, it's not quite the same as being in a commercial setting, especially when we have to keep another government vendor happy. And they are currently happy. Well, this guy starts telling me what I should be doing, and I explain to him that, yeah, that's fine, but it doesn't work because we've tried it, so we're not doing it. Now, he was flustered by it. But ultimately, he was kind of scared of me. A lot of them were scared of me because they knew they couldn't get anywhere with me, and they knew I would clap back. I wouldn't stand there and take it just because they claimed to be my boss. Now, you think this is a shitty attitude, and maybe it is, but the fact of the matter is if you have a program that's working properly and somebody wants to come in and try to ruin it, yeah, I'm going to get pissed and I'm going to push back. And I did. Well, this situation was a little different. One of the things I noticed about this station, there was an overall turnover in the administrative staff. So a lot of the people that were there when I started that have been my friends for years and years were now gone, retired, what have you, and we've got this new, different administrative staff. They don't have any connection really into the station. They aren't bought in. They don't have history. 
So all they're now looking at is the bottom line. Okay, that's how it goes sometimes. And I always felt like I was pretty safe because I was making money for the radio station, important money for the radio station, money that kept them alive. But as time was going on, there were a couple of other guys of my same age that were doing a good job, part of the reason why the station was successful, and they start pushing them out. They start making up shit to, to try to get them to quit or cause them to fire them. <clears throat> they did the first guy. He had been there since the frickin' 70s, and they pushed his ass out. And then a partner of mine on the air, they pushed him out. And then they pushed another guy out. And I'm thinking, what the fuck is going on here? These are people who have put in their lives and done a good job, helped to make this station successful, but they're pushing them out. Now, let me, under, let me explain this to you. They might claim that they're doing bad, dumb, or dumb stuff, but they've been here for 25 years. Why now, just now, we're realizing we don't like what they do? What was going on the first 25 years? Now, the only reason they were pushing them out is because they had no history in the station. They didn't give a shit about anybody. They were looking at the bottom line. And the old guys were making the most money. And if they could kick those guys out, they'd have more money, right? Unfortunately, that's the way people look at things. Now, again, I was kind of arrogant, so I figured, yeah, well, I'm the old guy. I'm making probably more than anybody in the station now. But I'm also bringing in a ton of money. The kind of money that's keeping this station alive. They're never going to touch me. They're never going to do this thing to me. But right around the 26th year, my uh, boss, and I put that in quotations because nobody was really my boss. I did what I was told, what I knew I needed to do and what I thought was best. And that always worked. But theoretically, he was my boss at the station. Now, keep in mind, I never went to the station. I never interacted with people at the station other than on the air because I was at the DOT site doing the broadcast. So he calls me up and says, we've got a meeting down at the administrative offices, at the main offices. I go, what about? He says, well, we've got some things to talk about. I go, okay. So I go down there. And, of course, this program director has some complaints about things I'm not doing. But what he failed to realize was when he came in at first, now this is like within six months after he came into the job, he said to me, what are some things you need? Well, there were a lot of things I needed to do the job better. And I said, I need this, I need that, I need this. <clears throat> wasn't a lot of money, but it was an effort that needed to be made. He said, okay, I will take care of it because I'm the manager now. Okay, great. Well, of course, that never happened. None of that stuff was ever done, which is common. So he calls me into this administrative meeting, something I've never been in in my 26 years of working for this station. It says, well, you didn't do this and you didn't do that. And I said, uh, okay. But I couldn't do this, and I couldn't do that because you didn't do this, and you didn't do that. So that meeting didn't go too well for him. He looked pretty stupid, which isn't surprising because he was young, and he doesn't know what the fuck he was doing. Okay, no big deal. One problem. This kid learned a lesson. We're done. But exactly six months later, six months later, he calls me in. We got a meeting with the administrative office. <clears throat> 
I said, what now? He says, you just come in. We'll talk about it. So we go in this time. Still, has not gotten me the shit he was supposed to get me. And secondly, now he's got some little piddly complaints about the way I word something or how quickly I did a report. Something I've been doing for 26 years. And I take him to task again. Because I'm not one to sit there and take it, especially if I know I'm right. And this one wasn't as big a slam dunk as the first one because they learned some things and and then they made it less specific so they they could have a better argument. So we went through that thing. I said, all right, fuck it. I'm just going to go back to doing what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, I'm coming up on 27 years in the job and I'm looking to retire in two to three years. So I'm just going to ride this out, get it done, do my best for this uh, station and for myself. So another six months goes by, exactly six months. And I get called in to talk to the administrators again. Now what's interesting is I watched the whole process with these other guys they pushed out. I know what they do. So when I show up at the administrative offices, I say to the union rep, and I never really utilized my union reps that much because I never thought they did much good for me, and frankly, that's true. But I looked at them and I said, tell me if I'm right here. They want to get rid of me. They're going to get rid of me. And they can't really come up with a real complaint. So they're running me through the process. I get called in once. Six months later, I get called in twice. Six months later, I'm getting called in for my third time. Let me ask you this. Third times, third strikes, and you're out? Today's the day that they're going to push me out? And the union rep looked at me and he says, well, based on my experience and what I've seen them do before, yeah, that's right. So they're going to fire me today. And uh, he said, probably. I said, okay. I said, so what are you going to do about it? Well, there's nothing we can do about it. And I said, that's why, to me, unions are worthless. They collect money, but they don't do jack shit for the people they're supposed to be representing. Okay, that's beside the point. I can't do anything about that. (laughs) So I go into this meeting, and I have a couple of concerns. I know they're going to fire me. Not because I really did anything, but because they've run me through the legal process so they can't get sued. So I know they're going to fire me, but I have one concern. And that concern is, what if they come up with something that's totally ridiculous, but somehow they can take away my pension and some of my other benefits from me? I said, that would be bullshit. But I certainly don't want to fight about it after the fact because I'll never win. So what am I going to do? I did what a lot of people really want to do in this position, but very few people do it. (laughs) And I did it without consulting my wife, which did not go well. Because sort of thing you like to talk to with your spouse after 35 years. But I felt I had no other choice. I felt I would cause myself more problems if I didn't do what I was going to do now. Yeah, it was going to be very gratifying. I was going to love doing it. But was it the smart thing? Well, I had two minutes to figure it out. 
So I went into this meeting, and they're getting all set up, and they're going to put me through the process again and talk about whatever, and I can argue about whatever. But I know, I know for a fact that no matter what I say, I've gone through the process far enough where now they're going to let me go. And I don't know to what extent they're going to let me go. I don't know what I could potentially lose. So I have to make a quick decision, a drastic decision. So as we're starting the meeting, the lady says, okay, well, first we're going to talk about this. I go, whoa, whoa, hold on. Can I say a couple of things before we get into this meeting? She said, sure. So I look at my boss. I'm trying to create a reaction from him for no other reason than it would be satisfying. So I look at him, and for about five minutes, I tear him to shreds. I say, look, you come in here trying to tell me how to do something I've done successfully for 27 years. You have one job in your experience, and you worked in such a small, shitty town that you not only don't have traffic in that town, you don't know anything about broadcasting it. So to suggest I'm doing it wrong and you know better is absolutely fucking ridiculous. Now, I destroyed this guy for about five minutes, and he was turning red. I know he wanted to say something. I know he wanted to swing at me, and I was relishing every goddamn moment of it. But damned if he didn't hold back. I will give this kid that credit. He held back. He got destroyed there for about five minutes and embarrassed in front of this administrator. But he held back. So good for him. So then I look at this lady, this administrator, the high up person who's in this process, and she's nervous because she knows I'm angry, but I'm being very controlled, so she can't say, oh, he's crazy. I look at her and I say, ma'am, let me ask you a question. I've worked in this job for 27 years. You deal with people who are having problems in their job. I said, prior to the first time a year ago or a year and a half ago, how many times did you see me? in this office for any kind of problem. How many times did you see me? She says, well, I never saw you. You're right, because there was no problem. Doesn't it seem strange to you that now after 26 and a half years, I'm sitting in front of you three times because of problems? Doesn't that seem strange to you? What's the one difference we have here today that we didn't have in the previous 26 years? She says, well, I don't know. I said, that motherfucker over there, he's got an agenda to get rid of me because he doesn't want to pay me as much money as he's paying me. Does that not make sense to you? And she looked at me, couldn't really answer either way. And she goes, well, I I don't think we need to talk about that now. I said, no, we actually need to talk about it now because we're in the process where you want to get rid of me. Well, we haven't got to that point. I know you haven't got to that point, but that's where I know you're going. See, that's the problem. You and you think you're smarter than everybody, but you're not. And I'll show you how you're not smarter than anybody. And she looks at me and says, are you done? Do you have anything else to say? I say, yeah, I have one more thing to say. She said, what's that? I said, I'm retiring. You're retiring? They're thinking, okay, that'll save us some problems. Uh, We won't have to fire him. He'll just retire. He's chickening out. (laughs) No, I'm trying to be smart. I said, I'm retiring. When are you retiring? I said, fucking today. 
this very fucking moment, get my goddamn papers. I'm going to sign them. I'm going to walk out of here a former employee of your organization. And she said, what? Nobody does that. And I go, I'm fucking doing it because I'm getting railroaded here for no reason. And I know that because you railroaded three people before me. And if you think I'm going to shut up and not tell people about this, you're sadly mistaken. Because you see, as you know, I work in the media. I have a lot of media friends. And this is going to get very fucking loud. Trust me. Especially since I have a lot of listeners. People in the media that like me, trust me, listen to me every day. How do you think that's going to play? (laughs) Well, I'm kind of overhyping it. The world's not going to come crashing down if I leave. But they don't know that. Because... People worry about things that are unknown to them. And you keep throwing these unknowns to them, and they fucking freak out. They start rethinking. They start questioning themselves, which is exactly what they did. I said, get the goddamn papers. Right now, I'm signing them. And my boss looks at me and says, "Uh, you have another shift this afternoon. This was about noon. I had to go back at 3.30. You have another shift. I go, fuck that I do. I've just retired. You got somebody who needs to do a shift? That's your fucking problem. You're the program director. Now he's upset. Because I've usurped everything he wanted to do. The joy of being the powerful guy. I just took the power from him and said, fuck you. You're on your own. So I signed the papers. And I walked out the door. And I got to tell you, in spite of... All the potential financial issues and all the problems that might come out of this with my wife, I was happy as a fucking lark. (laughs) And, And you know what really struck me more than anything? All the time I worked at that radio station, it was owned by a school district. So I had to watch everything I said and everything I did in social media and all that stuff. I didn't have my First Amendment right because everything I wanted to say I couldn't because I would get in trouble with my bosses. So I had to hold all that back. But the moment I walked out that door, I realized that I could say any fucking thing I wanted and not have to worry about somebody coming back on trying to punish me for utilizing my First Amendment right. So I was happy as a motherfucker at that point. Now I have to tell my wife. (laughs) And... She's not happy about that. She's upset. Some days she still gets upset about it. And of course, the money issue was a thing. But I had a side business that was making money. I was going to get a pension. So it wasn't really going to change things that much. But some people freak out about stuff. I learned to deal with stuff in the moment. Don't worry about it and just make it work. My wife has a different take on this. So do a lot of people. So anyways, I walk out of there happy as a lark. Now they're calling me back saying, hey, do you want to come back and say goodbye to your audience? Fuck no. You deal with it. I can access my audience through Facebook or what other uh, social marketing, social networking, and tell them the real story. Well, I don't think you should. (laughs) I said, dude, don't tell me what you think I should say because you don't have that authority anymore. I'm going to tell people exactly what happened, just the way it happened. And if it's embarrassing for you, too fucking bad. That's what I did. 
a lot of the listeners who found out what happened were really upset with these people because they liked me. I was part of their family. But these guys did this because they wanted to make extra money. And they did that because I was old and making too much money in their mind. That's my point. There is ageism going on in this world. People are being diminished, dismissed, disregarded because they're old. And that is a waste of resources. As somebody who's been young and is now old, I understand the value of older people. I understood it back when I was young. But a lot of young people don't just think we're in the way right now. And they can think that if they want. If they want. But the point here I'm trying to make on the Rational Boomer podcast is that even though they may think you're not valuable, even though they may not think you're as smart as they are, the fact is we're smarter. And we're more powerful because we have 70 million people that are baby boomers and, and, and millions and millions of Gen Xers. We do have power. We do have money to back us up. So we do have authority. And the only reason we lose that is we let them take it away. I'm not trying to be adversarial with millennials and the younger people. They're just doing what they do. But this country has a lot of problems. And with those problems, there needs to be some resolution. And we're some of the folks that can help fix that, to set our legacy in a positive way and help those kids that don't know any better and help those grandkids and great-grandkids that don't even know what's about to hit them. That's the point I'm trying to get at with ageism. We need to address that, not just because we're the old ones now, but because it will happen over and over and over again. And it diminishes the productivity and capability of this country. But you got to see it. And the only way you can see it is by having some power, having some clout. And that's why I said in the beginning of this, of this podcast, that's why I want more and more people come to the uh, Rational Boomer podcast. The more people of a like mind and like vintage gives us more power to make things happen. The things that we need to make happen. The things that are important for the benefit, for the future of this country. Anyway, i got to wrap it up. Talking too long already. I'll get to other topics and all those other things in future podcasts. But this is the one I was thinking about today. So thanks for joining me. I hope you keep listening. I hope you subscribe. And I hope you tell other people. Talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.